Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of For the Win, a podcast brought to you by Hampton Consulting and Benefits Quarterback, where our intent really is to discuss some of the current trends and market forces and concepts that are helping employers to build strong, sustainable businesses. I'm your host, Chris Marin, practice leader at Hampton Consulting, and with me again today is my colleague, Karina Veloso. Hey, Hi, Karina. everyone. Hi, Chris. Um, we're fortunate today to have uh, Abigail O'Connell, Senior Counsel with Sun Life, with us, and we're going to be discussing a little bit about the topic of uh, leave management and absence management. So uh, welcome, Abigail. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're really glad you could join us today. So I guess to jump into things a little bit, um, just to, to give folks kind of a, a background, you know, a lot of times the terminology gets thrown around in our industry, right? We've got acronyms and initials for everything, but, you know, in general, um, and, and a lot of times things can mean multiple things to different people. Um, but in terms of absence management, a lot of times I guess folks will hear that and they think, you know, just really about outsourced FMLA, but, um, you know, it can really be, really be broader than that. Is that fair to say? That's certainly fair to say. Um, I agree that absence management certainly includes uh, family medical leave administration, but you're right. Uh, true absence management is much broader than that. Um, it can include the management of disability claims. It can include the management of certain statutory paid leaves, um, leaves as accommodations that may be available under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it can certainly uh, even include coordination um, with absences taken, for example, under workers' compensation. Yeah, I mean, it's just gotten so involved, I would say, you know, in, in, in recent years with all the different, you know, states having their own requirements and then even municipalities and um, just, you know, beyond obviously FMLA and, and uh, ADA and trying to coordinate everything. For for most of the employers that you, you engage with, um, what, what types of processes do you see them, you know, having in place so I have seen it all. I've seen index cards um, most most frequently um, for employers that I work with that have never outsourced their leave administration before to a, either a software provider or an insurance company. I see uh, uh, the use of Excel spreadsheets quite, quite frequently. Um, many employers have been handling leave administration what what attorney, me as an attorney would call in house, you know, meaning internally. Right. Um, and oftentimes they'll they'll decide after a period of growth or a period of expansion across several states that it's really time to outsource um, compliance with those legal requirements. So oftentimes that's when I'm first engaging with an employer when they're they're making that decision for the first time. So that's that's interesting that you mentioned that just in terms of the you know the varied responsibility and the the different approaches people are taking. I, I guess for me it was really an eye opener a couple of years ago. We were working with an employer who, uh, you know, a couple I guess there were about two thousand lives or so uh, employees across the country, and there was one individual within the benefits practice or their their benefits department. They had one person who was dedicated really to kind of managing it, um, and they indicated probably eighty percent of each week they were spending just on the management of the various leaves that they had taken place, which was unbelievable to me. I, I, I knew that they were busy with it, but I had no idea that they had one person who was spending almost an entire week every day just, just managing the different leaves. Um, is, is there, and you mentioned about, you know, people having different, different um, you know, tracking tools and, and whatnot in place, but f un unless they have somebody in-house who's really kind of managing it um, or had some kind of an exposure to it themselves, do most employers, are they even aware just of, of all that's involved and, and the scope of responsibilities that they really have with regard to, to leave management? 
No, I, I have, um, I have the utmost respect uh, for human resources professionals who are managing this. And I will say it is more than a full-time job um, yeah. because although the, the federal FMLA doesn't change very frequently, um, we did have some change this past year with COVID, which we can get into in a bit, but although the federal FMLA doesn't change that frequently, there is a constant evolution and change at the state level. And I think it's just too much for any one person um, or even one department that has so many other responsibilities to keep their arms around. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I know with that particular employee, we happened to, to work with, with you all uh, as, on a solution for them. And it was just, uh, just eye-opening um, really for me to, to get that, that in-depth uh, and, and realize just how much uh, there, there is to take care of. Um, I know in, in regard to, yeah, obviously we've discussed how challenging and, and difficult it can be to, to track everything between FMLA and, you know, you mentioned intermittent leaves as well, and the ADA considerations there, um, state and local laws. I think there were there were roughly ten states, and this is probably outdated a little bit now. This is from from a slide only a couple of years ago, but I think there were ten states that only ten states, I guess, that had fewer than five types of leave, which meant there were like forty or more states with five or more uh, types of leave that that individuals had to manage. So uh, clearly, it's it's um, as you mentioned, ever evolving and, and changing. You know, we touched on it there real briefly in terms of COVID and everything, but how how had um, some of the you know the recent legislation that, uh, that came out as a result of, of the pandemic changed things, I guess, you know, emergency FMLA and whatnot. Sure. Um, yeah. So notably, uh, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which uh, came out in response to COVID-19, was the first ever paid leave mandate in our country. Um, so that was, it was, it was a hallmark law. Um, and, and what it did is it highlighted the importance of not forcing an employee to decide between going without a paycheck and going to work and spreading COVID, right? Because they wanted to uh, enable employees to stay home when they were symptomatic or they had known exposure to COVID. Um, the, what we, co we call it the FFCRA, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, that actually expired at the end of 2020, the mandate did. But um, employers are able to extend those leaves and then seek tax credits if they make them available to employees. And that was part of the more recent American Rescue Plan. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, which employers choose to extend the leave um, and seek tax credits as a way to fund it, um, and which you know maybe don't decide to extend it. Um, but it's certainly, I think, in employers' interests, if they can, to extend those leaves in order to keep the workplace safe. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Along those lines, I was going to ask, I didn't know, you know, how much of an uptick, you know, you saw in terms of the call center and, and uh, people are calling to inquire about just, you know, what exactly their, their rights were and, and, the, and, you know, taking advantage of some of the leads. So we saw, um, it, it was very interesting because when COVID-19 really um, started expanding last March and April, we actually experienced a reduction in short-term disability claims. Um, and I'm not an actuary, but this is just what I hear from my actuaries. And, and they think it was because people weren't, um, you know, a lot of workplaces were shut down. So they weren't getting repetitive use injuries. They weren't getting in car accidents on the way to and from work, et cetera. And then we saw an uptick of leaves taken either as a, a result of contracting um, COVID-19 or um, under this FFCRA, the paid leave mandate where someone had a known exposure and they were under a quarantine. And so they were unable to work. 
Um, so we did see a, a pretty high volume and we saw it hitting in waves as COVID spread throughout the country. Yeah, I imagine it must have even taken just some time for employers to really understand. You know, I know that we were doing a ton of communication in regard to, you know, FFCRA and, and what the new legislation meant and, and what everyone's, you know, uh, rights and, and, and obligations were. So um, it's not surprising to hear kind of in waves like that as well. Um, it, you know, I, I can answer my own question here, I think, with this in a way. But I mean, you know, is any employer, you know, really equipped to effectively manage leave? Um, and I'd say the answer is probably no. As you mentioned before, having that most respect for the HR departments out there trying to, to wrestle with it. Um, but uh, have you seen an uptick in employers, uh, you know, in, in recent years looking to to outsource the, the leave management? Yes. Yes. So we've um, we've seen a trend and it's been captured in certain industry studies uh, that Outsourcing of leave management is happening more and more often, and it's coming down market to even smaller employers. Um, and one of the reasons I, I think it makes sense is it's a relatively low low spend compared to the, the potential risk of losses if you're not providing people their, their leave appropriately um, as an employer. So I think you spend a little bit, you get compliance for that. You also um, get it off your desk, right, as some, some of the busy work. But I also think that uh, enough cannot be said about the fact that instead of your employer calling you to tell you about their health condition or the health condition of a family member, they're calling a third party. And that type of personal health information is being kept outside of your company, right? And you're getting the decisions from that on a third party. So you're not having that information in-house, which is, you know, comes with its own risks when you start collecting personal health information of your employees. Sure. And those, you know, those files have to be stored separately than from regular personnel files. So I think you kind of avoid that whole challenge um, or your problem when you outsource. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot, I guess, like, you know, with, with COBRA administration on, on all that, it's on a much uh, smaller scale, I would say, in terms of potentially some of the liabilities you have there. Um, but, but just thinking of, having to go back to an employee and inform them, you know, if they're, um, they didn't qualify for a leave or if a leave you know, needs to come to an end when they might want it to be extended, it's gotta be a huge relief for employers just to have the additional resource and be able to reach out to, to organizations, you know, like yours, um, to have that expertise and to be able to make those decisions, you know, with confidence. Yeah, I think it's an advantage and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's always nice to have expert guidance, um, and people who can answer your questions, you know, if you have sticky situations. And I guess along those lines, in terms of, you know, some of the, the punitive damages that are out there for employers, um, what, what have been some of the some of the different legal cases you've seen late, lately? So um, the, the case law is there's a huge variety of case law, um, but it's kind of important to keep in mind as an employer. Not only could you be sued by an employee, um, but if there is a a pattern or multiple allegations that you maybe haven't been compliant with leave law, there actually might be a government investigation um, into your workplace. So that's something to be mindful of that we see that a lot with larger employers where the Department of Labor will actually investigate them uh, to ensure that they're complying with the FMLA. Um, if you do have a lawsuit, um, you may be liable for um, front wages and back wages, uh, attorney's fees, um, Damages can be doubled if the employer is deemed to not have acted in good faith. Um, and under the Americans with Disabilities Act, there's even punitive damages um, available and damages for causing the employee emotional distress. 
So I imagine we're not talking about small sums of money here. Um, no, we're, when... we're, we're definitely not in, ironically, sometimes the wages are less than the attorney's fees. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, they, the costs escalate quickly and they're to be, you know, it's something to consider when you're considering the cost of outsourcing and what that might get you from a, you know, compliance perspective versus the potential cost if you're facing a lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, I'll use the, the COBRA analogy again, too. But, you know, we're, we're an independent consultancy and, and brokerage and, you know, just in full candor, you know, obviously we work with with other carriers and, and even there are some TPAs out there who kind of have a focus on on the leave administration and, and management. Um, obviously, we've had good experiences with, with Sun Life in the past um, in helping employers to, to address these challenges. So, but I mean, to the extent that you can, you know, lean on a partner, a third party who's got that particular expertise to your point, the investment that's involved here for this, it's, you know, you know, it's a couple of dollars per employee per month to avoid some significant potential, you know, even just costs for hiring staff. And then, you know, potentially from the punitive damages and the legal fees and everything, it definitely is an investment that we, you know, if employers have the ability to do it, we certainly, you know, recommend looking into it for sure. Um, so I guess in some of the ways that, that, that um, Sun Life coordinates and communicates with employers, I was really intrigued when we first, you know, we're, we're looking into things in terms of the, the, the call center and the capability for even, you know, managers to, to call in and kind of initiate things or the employee to call in and initiate. Do you want to talk a little bit just maybe about the, uh, the intake process and, and establishing of, you know, a, a claim, so to speak for whether it's a leave or a disability? Sure. Um, so Sun Life, as many um, insurance companies do, we have multiple streams through which we can intake claims. So, your, you know, your employees could be calling in their absence or their disability, or they could actually be creating a web intake. Um, they could be using a good old paper process. That's we see that more with disability claims than we do absence. Tends to be a little bit more technologically advanced. Yep. Um, and you know, once once we receive the claim as an an insurance company, we have a file feed through which we can run that employee data against, right? So we're going to have a sense, okay, how long has this employee worked for the employer? How many hours do they work? Are they, what location are they at? And, and that will drive their eligibility for certain leave entitlements. Um, and then we'll send out the appropriate paperwork, right? You know, there's eligibility notice determination has to be made. And um, we will often send the certification form, right, with that eligibility notice, um, and then, you know, we'll be waiting for them and following up for them to get that information back into us so we can make a determination. We also have, um, as many carriers do, ad hoc reporting so that our employers can see um, who has filed a claim, who's in process, who's been approved, how long they've been approved. Um, most importantly for intermittent leave, um, what they've been approved for, right? How many days per month, how many hours per week, um, if it's an intermittent entitlement. And so we work really hard to, to keep in touch with our employers so that we're all on the same page. Um, and, and one way that we do that is during implementation, we work to capture employer preferences um, where they're available. So there's certain decisions that you can make as an employer under the FMLA, like you're choosing a leave year method um, or whether or not you're going to enforce certain rules like the married couple rule or key employee rule. So you know, once we have you set up, we know your preferences and then we'll manage accordingly and make sure that we're keeping in communication with you uh, through accessibility on the phone and through providing reports. And, and so the employer then can really go into the platform too and, and check on particular, you know, claimants or, or, or leave requests and check mm -hmm. in the durations or if they're, you know, due dates coming up, so to speak, um, or maybe the initial uh, 
physician um, approval, so to speak, or recommendation is going to be expiring. Yes. And, and with that access, um, it's always important to know when the employee is approved and what they're approved for, but we will mask the details of the, if it's a health related reason or potentially there, there's many, a big body of law for victims of crime leave. So, so you, you'll know enough to know, you know, if your employee doesn't show up for work that they're on an approved leave, but you won't know enough to know that they actually had hernia surgery that day or whatnot. Um, so right. we will shield you from the specific medical details, um, which is, you know, to your benefit and the employees. And then in those situations where let's say it was an initial, you know, um, recommendation for say like a six week leave or um, four week, whatever the case may be, when that comes due and the employee comes back and let's say they're, you know, really determining with the work with their, their physician that they need another three weeks or so in those instances, uh, I mean, the communications are are ongoing then with the provider and everyone. Yeah. We have a process where um, we, We'll reach out when the employee is about to return to work. So within two weeks of their return to work date, if they're out for continuous um, or within a certain percentage of their exhaustion, if they're inter- intermittent, and we'll say, you know, we see that you're, you know, you're certified through this state. We expect you back to work. Like, how, how is it going? Are you going to be back to work or not? And in that conversation and outreach, that's where we may learn hey, no, I had a complication, I'm going to need more time, in which case we'll work with the healthcare provider to certify that extension um, to make sure that we can report back to the employee so, or to the employer so the employer's not expecting someone to show up on work on Monday when we know they're not going to be there for three more weeks. Right. No, and that's great for the employer too then. I mean, just to know that they've got, uh, you know, they're not going it alone, so to speak. Um, and you've got, you know, I know tons of resources and, and, and previous uh, data on different leaves and, and, and claims and whatnot. So you can definitely, you know, feel confident, I think, in the guidance that you're giving them. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we, we also are very aware, we, you know, if there's a particular medical condition where we expect to see someone out for four weeks and they're asking for eight, it's a trigger for us to have that discussion. What's sure. really going on here? Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I guess in, in terms of the size employers, I know typically, you know, there were some requirements in terms of having a, a, a line of coverage or so. What, what, what size employers are, are you working with um, and, and what are the requirements for them to be able to take advantage of the services? So we work with employers who have 200 or more employees. Okay. Um, and that's total employees. That would include your part-time, seasonal, temp employees, et cetera. Um, and one of the reasons that we require a certain amount of employees is that there has to be a file feed and that's passed weekly or biweekly. And we usually um, see that only employers of a certain size are able to push us that file feed. Uh, um, so, and, and that's critical um, for most, most carrier leave administrators. I know sometimes you can purchase software that has a lower um, employee headcount threshold but if typically if you're outsourcing to a carrier, they're likely to require um, 200 or more employees. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and then typically usually you're working with them on the short-term disability as well, I'm assuming. Correct. Yeah. And it, it often it just, it makes sense, right? So that we can have one set of letters. Um, if somebody's out for a concurrent leave and short-term disability, we'll send one certification form and we'll say on this form, there's questions marked with an asterisk asterisks, um, those are to support your disability claim. And so we're able to kind of coordinate the certification process and the approval process together with the disability. Okay. Okay. So both at once. Okay. Yeah. So 
before I, I guess I just have really one other question. I can, I can um, turn it over to Karina to see you know, if she had anything or, or to wrap up, but um, for, from an implementation perspective, um, generally just what kind of time frame is an employer looking at Abigail and, and does it matter if you're, let's say if you're going to be taking over their, their current leave and, and, and uh, history, current leave information yeah. history or, or just starting fresh? See, I can tell you're a pro the way you ask these, uh, these questions. So um, typically we're looking for 90 days if we're going to go with what they call a clean slate, which means we're not going to account for any historical leave usage or current leave usage. Um, ideally, you would have 120 days, especially if you want us to take into account any employees you currently have out or anyone who maybe used leave in that prior year so that we know to count that against their upcoming entitlement. Okay. Um, so I would say 120 days is really the best practice and it will set you up for success so that if you have any setbacks during your implementation process, if you're having trouble with the file feed, you have time to resolve it. Yep. The more, the more, the better, I guess, always, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Well, Karina, I don't know if you had any, any other questions or, or anything. Yeah. Just a quick wrap up question for you, Abigail, as you're looking forward to the rest of 2021, can you just share with us some of yours and Sun Life's focus or goals in regards to absence management for 2021? Are there any key initiatives that are to be launched or underway? Sure. Um, so we have so much going on and um, I'm so glad that you guys had me today. And I will just say, I could probably speak for the entire industry when I say paid leave is the future. And there's been a lot of states that have passed new paid leave laws. So that is something that we're keeping our eye on um, constantly and, and looking for, you know, their new products of a state like Connecticut has a paid leave law that's starting one one twenty one, And we saw New York, um, you know, launch theirs one one twenty eighteen. So that's been a major focus for us. Um, but it's also, I think um, you had said earlier that, you know, it can, it can be a full-time job and management of the current leaves are as a full-time job. California just had some changes, 1121, um, that were effective to their state level leave law. So we're just doing a lot of monitoring, right? And preparing for the future. Yeah, there's certainly not a, not a lack of activity. That's for sure. <laughs> things, are, Definitely. things are always changing. Well, Abigail, this has been terrific. We really appreciate you taking some time out just to talk about the services and uh, explain a little bit more into all that goes into, into absence management and how you're helping employers. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for providing this uh, material. It's great content. And uh, I checked out the rest of your podcast. So I'm impressed. Uh, well, thank you very much. I can't take any credit. It's all Karina. <laughs> well, thank you. And just for our listeners, where can they go to learn more about Sun Life? Uh, sunlife.com. And if you're interested specifically about coronavirus, you can go to sunlife.com backslash coronavirus. Perfect. Terrific. All right. Great. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Abigail, thank you so much for your time. And thank you. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Take care.